Bridge is an acronym for books recycled to instruct, disciple, guide, and educate. We firmly believe that reading is critical for Christians to grow in their faith, and so we strive to make Bibles and gospel-based Christian books available at very affordable prices. Our purpose is to share the glorious good news of Jesus Christ through written and spoken word. We do this by providing resources and educational opportunities for people to grow in their knowledge of biblical truth so that they are equipped to share that truth with others. You can visit our website at bridgebookstexas.org where you can find our Reformed podcast, Bridge Radio, where we bring on Christian authors, apologists, and scholars such as Dr. James White, Dr. John Frame, Joe Beakey, Jeff Durbin, John Sampson, and Tim Trumpert. You can find Bridge Radio on iTunes, Android, Windows, and Google Play or stream via our website. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. has so composed the body, giving great honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. 1 Corinthians 12, 24-22. To 22nd, 27th. Welcome back to another episode of Bridge Radio coming at you from the great state of Texas. Texas. Proclaiming the gospel fearlessly and faithfully. I am your host, Julio Omar Rodriguez. You could call me July, and across from me, as always, I have the man, the myth, the legend, the theologian himself from the valley. That's a long introduction. A.W. Verilla. <laughs> How you doing, man? How's it going? I'm doing today? well. Hello, everybody. So, so. God's good because. Uh, this is the second time we record this podcast. <laughs> so for for those who are listening, we recorded this podcast with our guest uh, last week. No, yeah, yeah, no, last, yeah week. last week. And um, and so uh, the audio wasn't quite clear. Um, we're having issues with post production, um, and, and so we just decided to do a second one to give you that nice clear audio. Yeah. Um, and uh, and yeah, we just we it's 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 going to be the same content, same topic, um, and hey, we're, we're, it's going to be better. Yeah. It's going to be better. We're but. excited. So yeah, sorry for uh, that uh, with the audio problem, and sorry yeah. that Julia released that without checking it. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no. Boom roasted. Yeah. That, no. <laughs> No, uh, so we are happy that our guest was uh, able to come back again. Yeah, and redo yeah, we it. appreciate so it. We're just really gracious for that. Yeah, um, but um, we got it down and it should be clear. Yeah, we're excited. Um, so, so the the topic again uh, for those who are new, it's going to be on the importance of church membership and and one thing about our culture today, we have no issue with membership. It's not a topic. Mm-hmm. It's not a topic that makes people squirm. It, it, it's obviously seen in our culture yeah. today, and you can see it very clearly in our in in our in our society being so health conscious. Um, I was looking at some statistics, reading some articles about this, just to prove this point. Uh, According to Credit Donkey, which is me and me and Abe were just talking about. This is such a weird name, yeah. but, but anyway, they're an organization that deals with financial tips, uh, giving people the information that they need to make just savvy financial decisions. And anyway, again, going back to this idea of membership and people not having an issue with it, um, the total number of gym memberships in the United States stands at just over 50 million. 
Wow. Just over 50 million. And how, then I was, what's up? I wonder how many go to to the gym on a regular basis, though. Right. There's a, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, they just buy a membership and then not yeah. ever go again. Yeah. I think, and I'm sure those memberships are like, go up like 200, 300% in January and then, and like, then they all just drop and they just probably all drop. Yeah. That's I true. Li- I would, I would like to know that yeah. statistic. Yeah. But. It's very true. And I'll link these articles just so people, like, you know, yeah. we're, we're not just making up stuff and making up numbers anyway. And then, so there was another article according to CNBC, um, gym membership costs between 40 to $50 a month, which estimates out to, you know, 800, nine hundred dollars a year and so it's quite expensive and and again this is going back to the idea of membership it's it, it's it's obvious that nobody here in the united states has an issue with membership um especially gym membership yeah right everyone's doing it but when it comes to church membership especially as the body of christ as mm-hmm. christians the the squirming and the misunderstanding comes with church membership yeah we don't know what it is yeah the, the, a lot of us we, we we don't know how it's applied and yeah. a lot of us we don't apply it or we, or it's misapplied and so, really, today, the purpose of this podcast is to give clarity to I mean, church membership. Yeah. What does God's Word have to say about it? And so, oh. today, we're bringing back on our guests for the for the for the second recording of this <laughs> uh, to give insight, not only uh, the insight on the importance of church membership, not only through his testimony, but more importantly through his exposition of God's Word. And uh, and he's somebody that I have listened to for for. Uh, quite a while, and I've been very excited to get him on the podcast, and and we've you know become friends here and and, and acquaintances, and yeah. and I, I love what he's doing out in San Diego and his church, and and it's just going to be a good exciting podcast. Um, please like and share. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Android, Stitcher Radio. We're developing an app right now that is going to be up sometime in August. We'll give an official date on that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah. it's going to be an, it's going to be a lot easier listening to these podcasts. Oh, Once yes. you download it an app, and you'll get the uh, reminders when we release these podcasts. And right. uh, it's going to make it a lot easier for our listeners around the world. Yes. So anyway, let's introduce our guest for today. I'm going to introduce him for a second time. <laughs> <laughs> so our guest is the lead pastor of Response Church in San Diego, California. He is responsible for leading his church by faithfully teaching through books of the Bible and casting vision. He is passionate about developing leaders as well as creating strategic systems for the advancement of the gospel. He loves anything to do with strategy, especially playing board games. And again, it's an honor and privilege to welcome on for not the first time, the second time, <laughs> Joel Webin. How's it going, man? It's going great. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here. Again. Hey, so what do you think about those statistics that I just uh, talked about at the beginning of the program? I don't know if you yeah, have anything uh, to say about that. I think I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm not really super surprised by those numbers. I right. agree with Abraham. I think that you know. I, I think a lot of those people are probably pretty mediocre in regards to their yeah. actual day to day commitment and showing up. But yeah, yeah I and think they our pay culture for it. totally. Yeah, our, our culture understands what it is to belong to someone. I was thinking about. I mean, just citizenship in a nation. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's with, with every organization with every nation with every i mean anything workplace there's always a sense of belonging everybody has an idea that there's some some method of determining who is a part of this and who is not who's in who's out right uh, that's just the way cultures and organizations and nations that's just the way they operate right and i think we realize it like we're not trying to be we're not trying to be cliquish. We're not trying to no. somehow, you know, uh, 
hurt somebody's feelings mm-hmm. by uninvolving someone. It's just a practical reality right. of belonging to a community, and everybody seems to get it, you know. But they kind of feel like everyone's allowed to do it except for a church. Right. Right. Yeah. And again, our our, our purpose of this pod podcast is to bring clarity. Um, so last time in the podcast, I answered this question, and I would like it to be just out out in the open. Um, when, again, when I first had listened to you, Joel, um, I was very interested by your accent. I I, I yeah. you know, gave a sermon to my uh, uh, the president here, Steve Den Hartog, and he listened to it. And the first thing he had said, he's like, "Where is this guy from? Um, <laughs> ew, why does he sound like this?" So yeah. So uh, so again, uh, but where do you get your accent from, man? Well, it is um, a product of my own invention. <laughs> As I told you guys last time, I just, I'm from Texas, so I'm, yeah. I'm from the same place that you guys are, the sovereign nation of Texas. Yes, sir. I moved out to California because, I don't know, I mean, Texas certainly needs the gospel, and there are plenty of churches, unfortunately, in Texas that are uh, not exactly gospel-centered, and so there's yeah. so much ministry to be done in Texas among people who are professing Christians, and yeah. may, maybe they are, and maybe they're not. So there's a lot of a lot of clarity needed, and a lot of ministry needed in Texas. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I just I, I wanted to go to somewhere that was maybe a little less churched, and so I moved out right. to California, thinking, hey, you know, like there's certainly it's less conservative and it's uh, politics and, and different views and and it seems as though there are perhaps less churches than texas so i moved out here wanted to be taken seriously i was nervous that if i had the southern draw that uh people would maybe write me off mm-hmm. it was also kind of during the time it was i think it was like right after the george bush days oh and so i was kind of like all right i you know i'm a fan I, I don't have anything against george bush but everybody i mean the guy graduated from harvard i feel like you got to be reasonably intelligent to, <laughs> yeah. to accomplish that task uh-huh. and yet and yet just the way he spoke there was right. something i think in the way he spoke people were like this guy's a, an idiot right you know? and right just constantly attacking his intelligence and mm-hmm. i think much of it was because of the because of his accent yeah, yeah his yeah. accent and sometimes he would get a little tripped up with some of his phrases you know like, right me once shame on you fool me two times three times a dollar uh, yeah <laughs> like, yeah i remember that so, yeah so he would struggle a little yeah. bit with some of that but a lot of it i think was the accent so i do not have an accent because i'm from london or because i'm from New York or anything like that. I have an accent that was cultivated in the fires of shame from being <laughs> a Texan, uh-huh. wanting to be taken seriously by the liberals in California. So uh-huh. I tried very hard to get rid of my southern accent, and in so doing, accidentally created some accent that's really from nowhere. It's uh-huh. just uh, just something that I came up with. So. Yeah, yeah. The the webbing. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. webbing. The webbing. But now I can't. I can't really get rid of it now. It's yeah. it's just the way I speak. So yeah, yeah. Even about your last name too. I remember in the in the last recording you. You were trying. You were letting us know about your last name, and that. Yeah, it's, you guys kind of set me straight. You said it's Wevon. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, yeah that's what so, it means, and and that that in Spanish means lazy, 
or right. it's it's a term used in Spanish that's it's like slang is from what I heard. I also heard it wasn't a bad word as oh, well, okay, go ahead. so it wasn't. Yeah. yeah, clarifying. I went to go ask some of my friends. They're like, no, it's just it's just slang for like lazy. So <laughs> I, I, I just want to make sure because you know, my, yeah, we drop yeah, drop a curse pot, word yeah. or something. We're gonna, right. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna lose our uh, yeah. These guys curse. <laughs> yeah, our credibility here. <laughs> These guys are cursing in Spanish. Yeah. And Christian podcast. Yeah. No, um, no, I'm glad you clarified because. Yeah, I, no, it's not. It, 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 here's the thing, uh, Joel. Um, you know, I'm from Chicago, born and bred, but uh, my parents are from uh, Puerto Rico. So there's just a lot of different uh, Spanish. Spanish. So, you know, since I just moved down here uh, just a couple of years ago, and whenever I speak Spanish, they know that I'm not from here. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes I'm right. trying to get the lingo down. So <laughs> that's what I was yeah. asking. What does that mean? Make sure we're not saying anything, you yeah. know, because. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I never time. heard from anyone that it was a curse word. I just, I, I but I did hear that. Um, I, well, there, there was a couple times where, I mean, San Diego, we have obviously like a large Hispanic culture, and so there was mm-hmm. times that like we're so close to the border. I'd go to a Mexican restaurant or something like that. They'd ask for a name for a reservation, <laughs> you know, and the host, you know, would kind of chuckle, and I'd be like, "What? What's going on?" He's like, "Well, like Webin yeah. sounds yeah. like Webon, yeah, which means lazy, <laughs> Joe lazy, right? Joe lazy, yeah. yeah, Joe lazy, is coming from you like, from great. California. <laughs> <laughs> what does a proverb say about laziness?" <laughs> yeah, nothing good. Yeah, nothing good. <laughs> nothing good. Nothing good. All right, Joel. Hey, so 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 just for our listeners, so they could have a you know feel from from who you are, you know, a little bit of your testimony. Can you share your testimony about how God drew you to saving faith, and also tell us a little bit about Response Church, man? Yeah, absolutely. So my dad is currently a pastor. He's been in vocational ministry ever since I was born. Different positions. He, right now, he's a lead pastor. Um, he was a worship leader for a while at a larger church in Houston, Texas, uh, singles pastor at that church for a season as well. So uh, my whole life I've, I've been in, in a church, mm-hmm. um, heavily involved with my family, with my dad. He's been in vocational ministry. Um, a lot of the churches though were, uh, I, they were Orthodox. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so certainly a true church. Uh, they weren't false churches by any means. True churches, um, but but not not necessarily the most healthy churches. Uh, right. I, th- I think that a lot of times what happens is you know you just get distracted from the main and the plain. And mm-hmm. So right. you know, part of the gospel centrality thing, what we're saying with that verb is like, hey, this is a gospel centered church. This is a gospel centered podcast. We're saying right. In that, you know, we're just saying that the gospel is the center, mm. you know, so the, the, we're not saying that everybody else uh, doesn't believe the gospel. We're just saying that there tend to be a lot of different churches and organizations that, that really do affirm um, the gospel, but right. but it's just not central in their ministry. And so mm. I grew up in, in an Orthodox church environment that mm. affirmed the gospel, and I have no doubt that if I was to you know, to, to seek out and find their statement of faith, it mm-hmm. would probably be pretty solid, but it would just, you know, there's just a lot of churches where there, there's this really solid statement of faith, but it's just, you know, it's in a file cabinet yeah. somewhere collecting dust, and it's just not really, <laughs> you know, it's not yeah. really informing the ministries of that church, and it's not informing the pulpit, especially, right. and the preaching of that church. So um, both of my parents, they grew up Baptist, Southern Baptist, and... Um, and they, you know, I think my dad, when he went to college, he just kind of had, you know, kind of a, a developing aversion towards the S- Southern Baptist kind mm. of 
tribe. Um, right. He, he felt gypped. He felt like he felt like his his upbringing and, and kind of childhood church experience um, was too elementary and too basic and never really. I don't know. I, he just he just was frustrated, and so he in college kind of came to an, an understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and you know speaking in tongues and right. gifts of the Holy Spirit, and so he really embraced a Pentecostal view of uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit as a subsequent uh, event to conversion and the evidence being speaking in tongues, and so gifts of the Spirit and the baptism mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit became central. So I would say he was kind of like. He was one of the guys, you know, he still uses the phrase like spirit filled. Are you spirit filled? You know, and um, Hmm. which I would say, well, I think all Christians are spirit filled. I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I just believe it happens at the point of conversion for all believers and and that it will be manifested in any number of spiritual gifts. And I I would push back a little bit on whether or not all the spiritual gifts have continued for today you know mm-hmm. so anyway so I, i've kind of swung full circle but but my upbringing was was very charismatic big emphasis on the gifts of the spirit and the gospel was just something that we assume and i think of d.a carson i think he said that uh the first generation believes the gospel the second assumes the gospel the third neglects the gospel mm-hmm. and the fourth generation rejects the gospel and yeah so so I think my right. dad was in that kind of that generation of assuming the gospel. Mm-hmm. And then for me, it was very much, I think, neglecting and coming to kind of a crossroads in my early 20s where I, I was about ready to just reject Christianity and to reject wow. the gospel because I, I didn't really think that it had power. Um, I, I felt like I just never felt like I was good enough, never felt hmm. like I was able. I remember being in Bible college, wanting to be a pastor and thinking, I'm pretty sure I could be a pastor, that that's still within the realm of possibility. Yeah. I don't think I'll be able to be a Christian. And, you know, and <laughs> wow. which it sounds so funny, but I, I just felt very confident that I knew several people who were pastors who huh. I was pretty sure were not Christians. So I thought, hey, if they can do it, I can do it. It doesn't seem like being a Christian really is a prerequisite for being a pastor these days. <laughs> so I think I could still do that as a vocation. Um, you know, yeah, I know. Yeah, pretty sad. So, yeah. Anyways, um, yeah. So, I, yeah, it's definitely um, a shocking and and terrifying thing to to be convinced that you could be a minister without being a Christian. Mm. Um, so I, I was in a dangerous state, no no doubt about it. Uh, the church was all I really knew, though, and, and so I felt comfortable in the church. I felt comfortable with the mm. idea of vocational ministry as okay. a career. I just, but I, I just felt like, it's not that I didn't want to be a Christian or a follower of Christ. I just didn't feel like I could. I always felt like I was the worst person in the room. I felt like everybody else was just more moral than than I was, and Correct. and so there was just no power to to my faith. There was no power to Christianity, which was really ironic because I was spirit filled and baptized mm. with the Holy Spirit. I was supposed to be all about power, you know. And right, I had power to speak in tongues and prophesy, but I didn't have power to to put sin to death by grace and to be an evangelist and to follow Jesus in right. my own personal life. So it was. Anyway, so the, the Lord was so merciful and just kind of bringing this mm. gospel back and dusting it off, making it fresh, uh, revealing it to to my heart in, right. in a personal and real way and helping me to see that this thing that I had just um, taken for granted and neglected, that this was, 
this was the heart of of Christian faith, and, yeah. it, and it really was the best news in the universe. Mm-hmm. And and I, and so then I kind of felt gypped, you know. So my testimony is kind of like my dad felt like he was kind of deprived hmm. of the whole spirit filled thing, and and you know, and I felt like I was deprived of good old Baptist gospel preaching, you know, and, and right. didn't really come into it until I discovered it for myself by the grace of God in my early twenties. Yeah. So, yeah. Amen. Amen to that. Yeah, that was that was great stuff. And so, yeah, even speaking now on, on the whole topic of being a pastor and being a Christian, you're 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 the lead pastor of Response Church out in San Diego. And, and how did that end up getting kicked off? Yeah. So, I, I like I said, I, I've always I think just between my dad being in ministry and just growing up in that environment, I've always wanted to be in vocational ministry. Um, I, I just felt like, well, I, I just I felt like it would be really rewarding. Um, I mean, even as a, a young kid, I, I really did enjoy reading the Bible, and um, I, I really enjoyed um, making sense of certain passages, and then right. and then doing my best to explain them to mm. my friends and and teach them what I was learning. So I liked I liked communicating, I liked teaching, and I really, really, really liked the Bible, and and so it was always something that I, I felt like I could be good at, and something that I enjoyed. Um, so yeah, so I, I wanted I wanted to plant a church primarily because I wanted to be in vocational ministry. I wanted to be a pastor and teach God's word. Um, also, uh, because church planting seemed to be my only option. And so I, I will admit that um, I, I'm a believer in church planting, but I do sometimes get a little bit concerned because that church planting seems to be uh, it's very hip. Right now, yeah. church planting tends to be that's that's the thing, you know. Everybody, uh, we've got to plant churches, got to plant churches, got to mm. plant churches. Right. And I, I feel like maybe we should broaden it a little bit. And what we need is is healthy churches. And planting churches might be, it can be, um, a means to to having more healthy churches. But there, there are so many churches that need to be revitalized as well. There, <laughs> yeah. there are churches that just they, they need a, a new pastor who's who is gospel centered and and committed to um, to the truths of Scripture and mm. expositional preaching. And so I I chose the church planting route in part because I was convinced that we need more biblical churches. Um, but there are other paths that I could have taken. The reason I took church planting was because. Uh, because I had to be a pastor at 23 years old, and I just refused to let anybody tell me no. Mm. That's, I mean, and so that that's part of my fear is a lot of times church planters, I, I sometimes just wonder how many churches have been planted out of just kind of a distaste and maybe a little bit of rebellion towards yeah. their previous church. How many uh-huh. guys really are not yet qualified or experienced or mature enough to be a lead pastor mm. and because they're not being invited by another church sometimes for good reason because they're not qualified <laughs> yeah yeah um, they're like well i'll just start my own church in my garage you know and, uh-huh. and so i i do sometimes get a little bit a little bit worrisome mm-hmm. about people's motives for church planting i know that my motives were less than pure uh, luckily god is really really gracious and so he <laughs> uses even wrong motives yeah. in his sovereignty to uh, to do wonderful things but yeah so i i just i had to preach 
I had to be a pastor. Right. At 23, everybody who would say, you know, maybe, maybe you should wait five years. I felt like five years was, you know, five years sounded like 50 years to me at the time. <laughs> so I was like, all right, well, you know, I'm going to do this. I, I went through the vineyard movement. My dad is a vineyard pastor. So that's all I really knew at the time. I went through their church planting assessment. I at least understood that, you know, that somebody had to give me permission to plant a church. Yeah. I knew that. I needed someone's blessing, someone's approval, but but the process that that they had at the time was, uh, it it just wasn't robust, and so it was kind of, you know, it, again, kind of in the charismatic movement, which you know, not not all charismatics are are bad by any means, but mm-hmm. but it was just kind of a little bit more. The guy who sat down with me was like, you know, um, I remember it was two hours of like, what's your vision, what's your plan, you know, hmm. and then uh, and then you know the the final conclusion was. I really love your heart. It seems like you have a good heart, you know, yeah. and which is not really biblical. I have a bad heart, you know, but, uh, but anyways, <laughs> you know, Romans so three, like, oh, Romans no. three. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was like, go for it, man. I think you can do it. You know, so I did technically get permission. I did submit, but, but the, the group that I submitted to, at least at the time and their assessment process and all those kind of things was, I, I'm, I, I kind of look back and wonder, uh, if anybody would ever fail that assessment i don't i think i think they might have given the thumbs up to pretty much anyone so i i was i was biting off way more than i could chew i was mm-hmm. jumping into the deep end of the pool and the fact that that we have a healthy biblical church now about nine years later um it's just a testimony to the grace of god it's, it's not because uh, i was right. qualified at a really young age i was not qualified i should have been told no huh. um, but god was really merciful and so i've, I've just kind of learned the hard way and there's been a ton of repentance uh, along the way and just having to say hey you know this is wrong what we the way we've been doing things is not right it's not biblical so we're going to change it and so right. there were multiple points throughout especially the first four years where where i would come to something and realize this is what the bible says we've not been doing what the bible says and I would make a big change, and I would stand up on a Sunday and and say it from the pulpit. We're changing this, and this is why. And here's, and I would read the passage, I would exegete it, and and we would have like twenty, thirty people walk out, you know. And it would be kind of almost like a restart, you wow. know. And that happened probably three or four times in those first few years, hmm. and then and then uh, the last four years, around basically like April 2014, we ended up leaving the vineyard, joining Acts 29 Network. Um, we yep. changed the name of our church because Vineyard was actually in our name. So we became the response church. At that time, we needed a new name because yep. we were no longer a part of the Vineyard movement. Mm-hmm. So we're Acts 29. We became the response church with our name. I, I appointed another guy who was biblically qualified to be an elder with me, to have a plurality of eldership uh, in the church. And, and we also instituted for the very first time church membership, which is our topic today. And from that point on, uh, everything wasn't perfect. Everything's still not perfect, but uh-huh. things were a lot, a lot better. And so, the last four years, God, uh, I, I would say, for the last four years, we have been a biblical church uh, to varying degrees, but, but a biblical church. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. So, so now, now we should dive into the to the importance of church membership. Um, where would yep. you start on the topic? Uh, I would start um, by just immediately conceding to anybody who's like, well, you know, there's no one verse in the Bible that says thou shalt become a church member. And I would say, you're right. There, there's not an explicit 
text in the New Testament that says you need to be a member in a local church. So that's not how I'm going to build the argument. I'm going to build it biblically. Um, okay. To be sure, but but I'm not going to say that. I, I don't think we have to pretend and, and ever. We we never want to say that the Bible uh, explicitly says something that it doesn't explicitly say. So hmm. the way that I build the argument is I just say this: um, there are multiple commands in the New Testament uh, that that every follower of Christ is expected to obey, and that's even really that's a part of the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. That in the Great Commission, we're called to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm. And we always kind of forget the last part, but the final part is, and teaching them to obey all of Christ's commands. And so um, part of the Great Commission, part of making disciples and being a disciple ourselves is obeying all of Christ's commands and teaching other people to obey all of Christ's commands. So when I look at the New Testament, I look at all the commands that were given, uh, what I see is that there are multiple New Testament commands that every single follower of Christ is expected to obey mm-hmm. and teach others to obey okay. that require and assume church membership. Hmm. So, for instance, uh, here's one. Um, I think of Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus is talking to the disciples about church discipline. And so it's Matthew 18, 15 through 17. He says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother over. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If Mm -hmm. he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. Hmm. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then let him be to you Hmm. as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, the Gentile and tax collector, obviously God is saving Gentiles and obviously Jesus had you know he had a tax collector on his team so uh, <laughs> but but what Jesus means by by that Gentile and tax collector Gentiles are people who they're not Jews they're outside of the people of God right. at least you know at least throughout the Old Testament and the under that, that's what the, the disciples would have heard that treat treat him as a Gentile an outsider or a tax collector um, very likely would be a Jew but but he would be a Jew who kind of was a traitor. He betrayed his own people to work for Rome, you know, Correct. so that he could kind of stuff his pockets. So and a social outcast too, or, right? Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah, you're, you've betrayed your own people and, and you've now been, yeah, like you're an untouchable. You've, you've been, you've been socially outcasted. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, so both of those, I think what Jesus is saying in essence is this, he's just saying that uh, here, here is a step-by-step process for dealing with sin in the church and if the person never repents, then eventually the final outcome is they're removed from the church. They're no longer treated as a brother or sister in Christ. They're treated like an outsider. But but I think it's important for us to realize that the, the final step is tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen yeah. even to the church. <laughs> so I just don't know how to do that without a church. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think people say, well, hey, I believe in local churches. I just don't believe in local church membership. Well, I would say, all right, well, if you're participating in a local church by showing up regularly on Sunday mornings and maybe you're in a midweek, you know, program or small group or something like that, that's, yeah. that's great. That's great. I'm glad that you're committed to a local church. I hope it's biblical. I hope you're being fed and growing in your faith. But if there's not some sort of visible and discernible church membership mm-hmm. at that church, then then one of my questions would be where? Are you going, what's what's going to be the context that you're going to use to obey this command? Jesus is not giving us a suggestion in Matthew 18. 
This is a command of how to handle impenitent sinners in the church. And so, so I feel like if we don't have church membership, um, number one, we're just going to, everybody's going to have some sort of method of deciding who's a part of this community and who's not. We, we all have a way of discerning belonging. Mm-hmm. So, so I think what a lot of people would say, maybe they don't give it a lot of thought, maybe it's just subconscious, but, okay. but I think they would say that if they don't have church membership, they would just say everyone who's showing up on Sunday, that's the church, huh. you know, anybody who shows up. So, well, my pushback would be, okay, well, are unbelievers allowed to show up on Sunday? Hmm. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, we have unbelievers show up at our church on Sunday. We hope that that unbelievers showing up on the Lord's Day for worship and for preaching of the Word and and the yeah. ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, that, that in, in hearing the gospel preached and hearing the gospel saying and seeing the gospel in, in the ordinances, that, hmm. that God might move on the hearts of unbelievers, that they might come to faith in Jesus. But, but do these unbelievers need to be a part of church discipline? Mm-hmm. Should, uh, is that really what we think Jesus is saying? That, that Joe Blow, right. my, my next door neighbor that I invited to church this Sunday, that he's going to show up and then, and then one of the pastors is going to get up and say, hey, you know, this one individual, we've gone through the steps of church discipline and they haven't responded. And so I'm now right. telling yeah. it to the church. You know, does, does my next door neighbor need to be a part of that? And my next door neighbor, I mean, you see in the text, it says, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then you treat him as an outsider, which implies what? It implies that we're telling it to the church and and the initial telling of it to the church is a commissioning of the church to pursue the individual, the impenitent sinner, to repentance. And there's right. there's got to be the implication is there's a season of time now allotted whatever is prudent for the whole church now as one body to pursue this individual and plead with them to come to repentance and and then once that season of time has ended then the church begins to treat them as a gentile or a tax collector so my neighbor joe blow who who does not love jesus who's never read the bible who's not a follower of jesus or a christian he's now being commissioned to pursue my non-Christian neighbors being commissioned to pursue right. this other impenitent person to repentance. Like that just uh-huh. doesn't make sense. That mm-hmm. just doesn't. So we have to have every, everyone, every organization, every community mm-hmm. has, has a means of drawing a circle on the ground and saying that this is the visible, tangible, discernible line that, that helps us see who is in this community and who's not. And, okay. and everybody does that. Every church is doing that. I just think that most churches are doing it thoughtlessly okay. and unbiblically. They're just using attendance to do it. And I just think we need a little bit more thought put mm. into it. Yeah. And, and, and Joel, we also, as you were just touching that, touching on that, without membership, we don't have accountability and you're, in, in your, and you're addressing that with church discipline. I mean, if you're not a part of um, a church and you are a member, then where as Christians do we become accountable to the things that are going on, mm-hmm. right? Without, totally. without, without the membership, then when you are not doing what you're supposed to be doing as Christians and uh, we are called out, as you said, in church discipline, there's no accountability. I mean, we're just yeah, we're just com- we're just coming in and we're just going going in and out and that's it mm-hmm. and yeah. and 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 here's a question: Have Christians lost their biblical understanding of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ? 
Yeah, I, I think so. I, you know, I think one phrase that comes up again and again is just personal relationship with Jesus. We hear that <laughs> all the time. And, uh, and please don't misunderstand. I, right. I, I'm very much for every single follower of Christ having a personal relationship with Jesus. I, I don't think, I don't think anybody's going to make it into heaven without a personal relationship with Jesus. But, huh. but the word personal is is different it's distinct from the word private and and i think that personal we say personal relationship with jesus but personal has really become i think a euphemism uh-huh. uh, for for private because what we mean oftentimes is that uh, everybody needs to have a private relationship yeah. with uh-huh. jesus because because we hear we don't just hear people saying hey i, I don't think that formal church membership is necessary we, we, if that was the only thing going on in our church culture today we'd probably be in, in, in decent shape but what we hear is we hear people they're not just pushing back against formal church membership they're, they're pushing back against uh, church attendance they're, they're, right. they're pushing back i mean they're just we have people literally saying professing to be a follower of christ saying that I just don't need the church, period. I, I don't think that I need to show up. I don't I, uh-huh. I don't like the idea of preaching. I, I like when people just share with me. Yeah. I don't like being preached at, you know, and I and I like, you know, more of a conversation and a dialogue. I don't I don't like this idea of some guy getting behind a pulpit and just monologuing and telling me what I should believe and and really, you know, it's all about your personal relationship with Jesus. And so I think it's more fruitful for me uh-huh. just to stay at home or sometimes i'll go on a walk in nature and just be surrounded by god's creation and that just gives me really positive thoughts about god's love and right how awesome it is hippie and just, jesus yeah and i'll pray and I'll, I'll read a chapter out of jesus calling you know that morning and and i'm just doing really really great uh, so so yes i do think that we have absolutely lost um, not just an emphasis on on church membership, but just a, we've lost an emphasis on the local church. We have right. made Christianity private, uh, but Christianity is never. We don't find any example of private faith mm-hmm. throughout all of the New Testament. It, it, we must have personal faith in Jesus. So I cannot, I cannot have a relationship with Christ. I cannot be um, reconciled with God based on the faith of another, based right. on the faith of my parents or my pastor Correct. or anyone else. Correct. It must be personal, but faith is never private. Even baptism, the way that the ordinance that that, that the Bible gives us to come into uh, faith is, it's public. Yeah, it's not yeah. done in somebody's swimming pool in the backyard, which I hear that all the time. Back to my C point A, you know, church planters, <laughs> you know, like, but, but it's just, you know, it's, it needs to be public. There needs to be, the church should be gathered and present. Yeah. Faith must be communal. Yeah. It must be personal, but it must never be private. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, What one thing that I really wanted to get get to, um, that whole idea of, I, it, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Um, everybody has a relationship with God. Um, but you're rather in the relationship with God as in Adam or in Christ, and that there's right. the difference between heaven or hell. Yeah, um, right. Everybody's in a, in a relationship with God. You're it's right. just which relationship are you in with it, with him in, and is it based upon God's word and the scripture and what he has to say? Um, so it's just, it's a very relative term uh, to say, hey, I have a relationship with God. Well, what does that even right. mean? What does it even look like? And totally. is it founded upon scripture? And, yeah. you know, if you have 
this hippie Jesus um, and this God that is made up in your own mind, one, that's idolatry, and two, it's false. So, And if you I, ask somebody, I'm sorry, uh, if you... No, go ahead. If you did ask somebody, what, can you define what that means? Yeah, a relationship, a relationship with God. I think that they would have a hard time, you know, answering that uh-huh. because it's easy just to say that I'm in, in, in a relationship with God, but what does that look like? <laughs> right. Yeah, well, they, they would just talk get about their from? personal devotions and like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm reading this and I'm spending time in prayer and spending time in yeah. meditation and spending time in nature and all these kind of things. And I just... Yeah. Well, I would look at that. I would, one thing that I would point to is just church history. And I would, I would just say it wasn't until just a few hundred years ago that people even had their own personal copy of the Bible in their language and were literate and able to right. read it Monday through Saturday. Right. So it's like, how has God sustained his global church for the Correct. first 1700 years mm-hmm. yeah. since the cross? It's yeah. like, well, uh, you know how he did it? He did it through the ordinary means of grace on the Lord's day. Yeah. With preaching, the sacraments, the ordinances, uh, worship through mm-hmm. song. Like this is how this is how the people of God have been fed and sustained, and it's all been corporate. Right. It has never been private. It's been gathering together mm-hmm. with one another to for the ordinary means of grace to be given to us mm-hmm. for for our 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 benefit, for the feeding right. of our souls. And and that's 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 how Christianity has always flourished. That's yeah. how it's always grown. That's how it's always been sustained by God Correct. throughout the century. Correct. Again, for the person who says, I have a relationship with God, well, it's not whether you have a relationship with God, but which relationship do you have? And the Bible is very clear that it's you're rather in Adam or you're in Christ, and there's two spiritual families in that. Um, totally. And so, yeah. Um, so, and Joel, there, are, there are proofs, real quick, there are proofs yeah. of having a relationship with God. Yes. <laughs> and and one of them, like our church is preaching through First John right now, one of them mm. is, is relationships with other believers. Mm-hmm. So so the person is like, well, I have a relationship with God, and, and you you say, well, which one? In in Adam or in Christ? And they say, well, in Christ. And well, then I would just say, like, all right, well, this is what a relationship with God in Christ looks, looks like. like. Yeah. And and First John says, if you claim to love God but hate your brother, you're a liar. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And and so so it's like, well, here, and I, well, I you know I just don't like the church. And like, if I had a dollar for everybody who loves Jesus but hates his bride, I'd be a really rich guy. You know. And, <laughs> And, and I mean, that's just such a clear sign that you, you're you not in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. You, you may be in Christ and just very immature and very ignorant, very hurt. But yeah. if you're in Christ, the proof will, will be that, that you're, gonna, you're going to eventually come around. Mm. You're going to get over that. You're going to repent. Uh, you're, you're going to be healed. And you're going to plug back in with God's yeah. people. Mm. There is no relationship with God, loving God, mm-hmm. that, that, that foregoes a, a love for his people. Yeah, yeah, amen. There's, there's something else that I was I was thinking of. Uh, the individual's name, he, he's a professing Christian. I think his name is Justin Peterson. I'm not quite sure. Um, yeah, Justin Peterson. Yeah, and I yeah. remember one time, I think it was on his on his podcast with, with Jeff Durbin. He says, he told Jeff, he goes, I don't sin no more. I'm not a sinner. I can't <laughs> sin. And he's a professing Christian. And you're talking about 1 John. You and your church are back in the 1 John, uh, preaching through the book of 1 John. And what does 1 John say about that? In 1 John chapter 1, 8, it says, He who says that he is without sin, uh, the truth is not in him, and he is not of us. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and so what do you what do you do with that? Again, it goes back to the whole, um, you know, the outward 
ness of, of, of what a professing Christian does oh. and what he says. And, and I, wonder, I wonder if that guy's yeah. married. Because <laughs> if he is, I'm sure if he talks to his his wife, he probably says otherwise. <laughs> yeah, it must it must be what you say. I think it's is Justin Peterson, the guy Justin I'm Peterson. thinking of. Would Justin Peterson would never say that he's a solid believer. Oh, is it different? Is it Justin? No, no, it's not. It's not Justin Peterson. It's uh, just I know who Justin Peterson is. No, he's he's an awesome reform reform brother. Oh, so That's then not let's, him. Let's let's correct that here. On yes, the let's go. Let's yeah. I don't want to Justin, Justin Peterson, Peterson did not say that. Yes. Okay. So let's make it very clear. Uh, so just yeah. no, not <laughs> somebody else. Somebody it's somebody, else, it's somebody else. Everybody. No, Justin Peterson is the is the individual who really has great work against the uh, um, the charismatic movement. Gospel. Yeah, the yeah. prosperity yeah. gospel. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's. I want him, John, uh, Justin Peterson. If you get this podcast, yeah, uh, we want you on. <laughs> yeah, and and, and we apologize, yeah, Justin Peterson. You did not say that, so <laughs> no, <laughs> don't hate us. Yeah, yeah. What, I don't know but what, I, but I know your point, Julio. Yes, you're, you're just saying that like there there are tests. I mean, the Bible says, examine yourself to see you, yeah. if you're in the faith. Yeah, there are visible ways of discerning in our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll know a tree by its fruit. Yeah, so yeah. We, there there should be visible fruits that we're able to look at and see. Whether yeah. or not we're really in the faith, and uh-huh. one of it, it, one of those, is a confession of sin, admitting uh-huh. I am a sinner in need of God's grace, and and like like we keep saying, another is um, our relationship with the church. Mm-hmm. You know, do, do we love God's people? Are we bound to them? That, okay. That's the thing. It's it, are we committed to them? Because because yeah. some people say, oh, well, I, I I love the church, and again, back to the person who's mm-hmm. you know the regular attender, but just doesn't like the idea of formal church membership. Right. I would just say, and Abraham, you were hitting on this for a little bit, but. Just, just the idea of like accountability. Yeah. Um, one of the things I think that that's a prerequisite for real accountability is there has to be a mutual agreement. Yeah, you can't hold someone accountable uh-huh. unless they have, in some real, visible way, given you permission uh-huh. to hold them accountable. Yeah. yeah, you know, and so, so the person who's attending, that's all fine and dandy, and. And, and we can say, hey, this person really belongs. And the way we do church membership at our church, we don't <laughs> call it membership. And like we just do it by, you know, the people who are regularly in attendance. We just know that these people, they love this community. They're a part of it. That's fine. But but if they haven't ever sat down with you and I, I know I know we don't like the formal stuff. We love one of the big buzzwords is organic, organic, organic. Mm-hmm. I think the reason we love the word organic is because organic is is usually the word that we use to describe all the things that we're not actually ever going to do i you know i organically do evangelism I'm like oh so you just don't evangelize or i organically do that like oh so that's you, good you know so i mean I, that's that's the, that's my experience oh yeah I, well our church does that organically oh yeah you, your church just doesn't do that i got you okay like that's do you so have a funny. system for discipleship yeah. no we just do it organic okay so people just you're not disciples great yeah. so but but my point is, like, mm-hmm. I think I think that we we have to have something that's a little bit formal. I know we don't yeah. like formalities. I, I, I understand. I know that feels impersonal and it doesn't mm-hmm. feel organic and it doesn't feel natural and real. And, mm-hmm. and we feel like, aren't we losing something? Aren't we losing just kind of the just the the essence of real, authentic relationship? And and I would say, man, that sounds like the same argument with the couple that you know in my church that's cohabitating and saying that they're married in their hearts and that uh-huh. they don't want to go and get a marriage certificate and actually do a wedding because it's going to cheapen the authenticity of their love. That is such a poor, yeah. ignorant argument. Yeah. When someone signs a membership covenant, yeah. is that formal? Yeah, it's formal. Mm-hmm. But but then we're able to go back to that and we're able to say 
God forbid, if that person is in yeah. habitual sin and they're not repenting and they're, mm-hmm. and they're making some of those claims like I have no sin, like First John chapter 1, or, or I have not sinned, yeah. or this thing that I'm doing is not sin, mm. we're able to then say, look, um, this is serious, yeah. and, and we're correcting you. And this is the process that Jesus laid out in Matthew 18, and we are we're we're on step one yeah. right now, and Amen. we are going to go down these steps. Mm. And when that person says, "Well, forget you," like I, you know, I'm I'm just going to leave. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like, okay, well, you can physically leave. We can't stop you from physically leaving. Right. But you signed a membership covenant mm-hmm. and gave us permission to 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 go through this process mm-hmm. with you. You agreed right. that you were going to walk in the holiness of the Lord, and that when you sinned, because we all sin that you would confess your sin as sin, and that by God's grace you'd repent, and you're yes. not doing that. And you and I have your copy of your membership on file with right. your signature, where you gave me permission to have mm. conversations like this. Yeah. yeah. But it, it, it is, I, I, I do want to say that it's, this is um, the importance of discipleship comes into play with this, um, because I'd, I would think that it wouldn't be uh, fair for um, anybody to just come down on somebody when they are in sin that have never communicated before in the church. Um, you know, I believe that uh, discipleship is really important because we do give that trust uh, within the church uh, with our pastors and uh, our elders, our deacons, and other uh, group leaders who are uh, discipling. Um, the people in the church shepherding this church but um i mean what do you think about that i mean do you i mean well, yeah correct I, so there i mean there's formal there there is a formal accountability mm-hmm. and and that's what i'm arguing for yeah correct yeah. formal church membership and a membership covenant there's always going to be um the credibility that someone accrues for themselves over time by just simply being godly and 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 showing people in in their lives that, mm-hmm. that they actually love them and care for them, and so that's always. I mean, even among our elder team, we have five elders, and if you ask each individual member in the church, um, who's the elder you respect the most, each one would give a different answer, mm-hmm. and that answer would be based on it. Really, wouldn't be based on something that's objective, like this elder is objectively the most godly. Mm-hmm. It would be something that's subjective. It would be this elder is the one who has uh, who has personally right. served and yeah. loved me the most. And so we're always going to have varying degrees of credibility that's based on what you're saying, Abraham, our, our diligence to disciple an individual yeah. member in our church and to love them, to care for them, um, all those kind of things. Like I always have, I feel like I always have a little bit extra credibility uh, when I do someone's premarital counseling mm. and officiate their wedding. Mm. You know, that person is just kind of, it's like we have, you can just see it, you know, that our, our relationship is a little bit stronger yeah. than it was be, before that happened. So right. certainly that's true. But I think that's part right. of what I love about Matthew 18 in church discipline is that Jesus, even if this person is a brand new member in the church and we have not yet had the time necessary to accrue some of that credibility through through um, discipleship and through um, uh, pastoring that person one-on-one and these kind of things, the beauty of, of the process that Jesus gives us is that the process doesn't, it, it, step one is not um, kick them out of the church. Mm-hmm. That's not, step one is 
you go to them privately. Yeah. Step two is you bring uh, one or two others with you. Step three is then you tell it to the church. And I'll, even then, they're yeah. not removed yet. Yeah. The whole church is now pleading with the individual. And then finally, they're removed. And and I always inform right. our church. Because we, in our members' meetings, we have members' meetings once a month. And about once a quarter, I actually just did this last month, but about once a quarter, we'll, we'll talk about church discipline and, mm. and the right way to carry it out. And mm. I always say this line. I always say that Matthew 18, I, I I highly doubt that Jesus intended for this process to be um, to be followed from beginning to end over mm-hmm. the course of an afternoon. <laughs> this, this is not so. It's not like, hey, I'm going to confront this person one on one, and if they don't respond, I'm going to have one or two other people hiding in the bushes right nearby to jump out, <laughs> and then boom, you know, like this is yeah. not a surprise intervention. Yeah, where all of a sudden there's an ultimatum right off the bat. This is. So, so we, I mean, the, the step one, uh, privately, we, we do that. Uh, there's nothing in the scripture that says you can't do that more than once. Yeah. So we do that uh, again and again, usually for about a month. Then wow. we bring in one or two. Yeah. You know, okay. And we do that for about a month. And, and usually those one or two, uh, maybe they might be just other members in the church uh, uh, initially. But before we would ever tell something to the church, we would bring in one or two elders, okay. uh, at least for the final meeting. Um, to be able to gauge, is this person responding? Is this person repentant? And if the person just refuses or, or won't even meet with us, we, we would just keep reaching out for probably at least a couple more weeks. And then we would move to telling to the church. And even then we would yeah. give it another month or two where we're all pursuing them. Finally, they would be removed. So even if somebody was found to be an impenitent sin and they just became a member in the church last week mm. and they don't really have a lot of relationship with the pastors or other members, they they would we would move so slowly and so humbly and so carefully through this process huh. of church discipline that that I I think that if they really have a regenerate heart, number one they would repent, and number two we would actually have meaningful relationship uh, that would would be actually developed ironically through the church discipline process. Huh. Mm-hmm. Because you would have to, and I, th- I think you mentioned it, because you would want to recognize, is this a sanctification issue or a rebellion issue? Totally, um, yeah. We, we're, the only reason we would ever remove someone from the church is if they are impenitent, meaning mm-hmm. they refuse to repent. Right. That's the only That's the only thing. There's no, we're not going to say, oh, well, this sin, this one particular sin, you know, you get kicked out. That's not, Yeah. No, it, it, it's, if the person is repentant, then they can be a part of the church. If the person committed murder. Well, we're going to have to go and obey the law of the land, and the person's going to be in prison. But if they repent and acknowledge murder as sin before God, then that person in prison would actually still maintain their membership at the response church. And Mm -hmm. we would send members in our church to visit that person in prison and to hold them accountable and disciple them and and love them. That's That's awesome. That is awesome to hear uh, because they're still they're still the body of Christ. Yeah. They're still, still brothers. Christians. They're still, still saints. Pre- yeah. Amen. <laughs> and, and the only reason we would ask someone to not be a member in our church is impenitent sin. We would remove them or wow. we would release someone, not remove, but release someone if they're, if they're leaving San Diego and they're going somewhere where they could, where there is another local Bible preaching, local church that they can join. Right. Um, yeah. So when guys get deployed, there, there is not, you know, if they're on a submarine or on a ship for nine months, um, there's there's not a biblical local church with 
biblically qualified. Yes, there are believers on that ship, but there's not an organized Correct. biblical local church for them yeah. to join. So they we retain their membership while they're gone. And yeah. we have hmm. individuals in the church who reach out to them and are praying for them and trying to hold them accountable. And, and they try to participate in our church as much as they can um, mm-hmm. while, while they're deployed. Yeah. So, Prison, I would put prison in the same category. If somebody was incarcerated, yeah, um, we would encourage them to remain a member in our church. Yeah, how wow. encouraging that is! That's to, awesome to to know that even you mess up, you know, and you repent, and your church is still making sure that while you're in prison, that you're still part of this body, no yeah. matter how long Amen. you're going to be in there. Man, that's really that's awesome. awesome. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I, wow. I don't. When I read the New Testament, ideally in the New Testament, you would be in prison because you were preaching the gospel and not because you murdered someone yeah you know, but, <laughs> but uh but still regardless you're still um, locked up yeah <laughs> yeah like peter's yeah peter's locked up and, and what are the saints doing they're earnestly praying for him mm-hmm. he, he's still he's still part of the body they love yeah. him amen Amen, amen. Just to clarify with the whole Justin Peterson thing, I was looked it up right now, just to make clarification, and it's on the record. No, <laughs> Justin Peterson is not the individual I'm talking about. It is Jesse Lee Peterson from the Jesse Lee Peterson radio show. So oh, okay. that's who I'm talking about. Just to make clarification, he yes. is the Christian, a professing Christian, who says that he no longer sins anymore. Anyway, you could you could go to Apology Studios and check that out. Yeah. You, Sorry, God, Justin, you. for that. Yeah. Justin Peterson, any of you listen to this? Come onto the radio program. Anyway, so yeah, so we, we've 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 uh, we, we've discussed church church membership, established it. It, it could be seen um, out of the New Testament, and and what I want to talk about now is the role of a church membership uh, or a church member. Um, I think, it, like we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, membership could kind of look different. To people, so yeah. you know we have this uh, misconception, misunderstanding. How maybe it's the it's the church that needs to be doing things for me. Um, right. You know, they they see it as um, as a. Um, uh, you know, like they have special privileges, and there's a lot of just stuff that is assuming that is assumed. But I, I, I want to ask Joel, can you clarify just what a healthy member looks like in an unhealthy member? Um, you know, what are the, what are the roles that are, that we should be playing as church members in our church? Absolutely. So I, I, I do, um, I do think that members in a church should have certain benefits mm-hmm. that non-members don't have. Okay. Um, How does that so look? I, I, so, um, like for us, even in our membership covenant and, and our membership class, a part of the process heading towards membership, uh, we're always really clear that um, there is an incentive to being among God's people. Okay. And, to, and so, uh, one of the incentives that, that we say is, I, like, I think of, um, well, I think of Galatians, where Paul says, as often as you have opportunity, do good to all, mm. but especially prioritize the household of faith. Or mm. I think of where Paul writes to Timothy, and he gives him a list for widows. And you would think, I mean, you would think that, I mean, like, when I think of the poor in San Diego, mm. I mean, the, the poor in San Diego are, are, a lot better off than than the poor of first century Palestinian people, mm. you know, and yeah. and so Paul's talking about first century Palestinian wow. poor, and then and then he's not even saying that uh, with those individuals, he's saying the helpless poor, meaning the orphan and the widow, and then even among the widows, he draws another distinction. You would think in first century Palestine, if you're an orphan or a widow, you, you're qualified to be helped by the church. That's enough. You know, there should be no more hoops to jump through. But Paul adds another. Paul says, if you can help all the widows, help them all. But because the church and the people of God are limited in their resources, we're finite. um, 
you may have to choose. And if you have to choose, here's the ones that you choose. The widows who have been faithful, the ones who have washed the feet of the saints. Mm-hmm. The one, like, and, and I just, one of the things that my heart is broken over is I see what, whether churches have formal church membership or not. I think that just the American evangelical church at large kind of has this, I think, this very wrong idea, and all of it in the name of evangelism, that basically says that, that the people who, who are plugged in and who belong, these are the people that we're going to use and require to bend over backwards to serve who? Wow. To serve the people on the fringes who have not committed, who don't belong, who are not faithful, who have never washed the feet of the saints, who have never... And I just think it's backward. And we do it in the name of evangelism. We say, well, we're going to do all this stuff. We're going to use the faithful and all of their resources, cause them to bend over backwards so that they might serve people who are on the fringes, people who perhaps are unbelievers, so that they'll come come more into faith. They'll come into the church. But I, I just think that that it's, it's ironic. We, we're doing it in the name of evangelism, trying to win people over to Christ. But but I, th- I see Jesus saying, by this all men will know that you're my disciples mm. if you love one another. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I look at the early church, and, and I, it's exploding in the book of Acts. And certainly, I think part of it is gifts of the Spirit. Part of it is having living apostles among them. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of it, part of it, I think, is... The fact that they shared everything in common mm-hmm. to where there was not one poor person among them. Yeah. Well, one poor person among the city of Jerusalem? No. One poor person among the church in Jerusalem. Yeah. Uh, I think it was mm-hmm. Rabbi Josephus who said, um, it's a very peculiar thing that someone who is impoverished could become rich overnight simply by joining the ranks of the Christians. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is a powerful a powerful thing and i think one of the reasons why we don't have people coming in to church membership or whatever we want to call it even a church that doesn't have church membership you you still have this core group of people who are more involved than others and i think the reason why the the core people that group of core people Mm. in a local church tends to be small like the old adage we say 20 percent of the people do 80 percent of the, the work I think part of the reason we have that <laughs> epidemic, that problem, is because we have no incentive for faithfulness. If you're faithful, what do you get? Well, you you get the privilege of of being even more faithful and giving even more of your resources and and serving on our volunteers uh, teams even mm. more. And we're gonna you know we're gonna challenge you. Like every time we stand up, a church does a call for tithing or. We're, you know, we're, we're coming below budget. We need you guys to give more. You know what happens? The non-tithers don't start tithing. That's not what happens. Yeah. The tithers huh. who are giving 10% start giving 15. Huh. Yeah. You know, and 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 so wow. for us, like what we're doing in our church, and I, I think it's it's a combination between the pulpit and church membership. So I, huh. I think you have to have both. Yeah. But but in our church, we average 170 adults. So so just yesterday we had a, 171 adults, and. And we have a hundred and, and about 155 covenant members. And what I see is in churches that have church membership, a lot of times it's it's either it's either we have 300 adults on an average Sunday morning attendance, but only 100 members, or it's the opposite. We have about 100 adults in average Sunday attendance and 300 members. And what that tells me is, you know, you have the old timey, you know, maybe old Southern Baptist church. Not to pay, I, I love Southern Baptist, but the old Southern Baptist church that. 
They have 300 members in their church, but only 100 showing up on a Sunday. Well, what I would say is you have way too low of a view of church membership. It's way too easy to be a member in your church. And you have a bunch of people who haven't even attended the church in two years that you haven't followed up on. And I would ask those pastors, when Uh. was the last time you practiced church discipline? I would say that's that that is very evident. That's visible of a church that is not shepherding and discipling and wow. practicing church discipline. If they're saying we have 300 covenant members that we're responsible before God for, and only a third of them show up, yeah. and then the flip side, we have 100 covenant members and 300 people show up. Well, I would say I would say in that scenario, you're either making it too hard to be a church member. You have this 18 week class where someone feels like they should get their MDiv at the end of it, you know? Um, or or not just that, maybe perhaps um, y- you, you have a right, uh, a right qualification for church membership, right. but you're making it too easy for people to uh. simply attend on Sundays. And so what we do is we try to couple church membership and the pulpit together. And so what we're doing is we, we have what we believe is not too high of a bar for church membership or too low, mm-hmm. but then in our preaching, on Sunday, we are regularly telling people again and again, I preach a whole sermon on church membership multiple times a year. We'll pause whatever series we're in, whatever book of the Bible, and we will preach on the importance of church membership. And I will tell our people plainly, I'll say, our heart for you is if you are not a member in this church, that you become a member, or if you have no intentions of being a member in this church, we we are asking you to leave. We don't want to see you again. Um, Because because there, uh, you need to either be a member in this church, or if you can't, for whatever reason, you need to leave this church so that you can find another church where you can be a member. And, and so we, like our volunteer teams, our members, um, none of them are burnt out. Uh, they're serving in the children's program. Yeah. Um, but, but here's the beautiful thing. Like, you know how children's workers get burnt out? Mm-hmm. They get burnt out because there's like 20 of them who are faithful and are willing to do it. And you know whose kids are watching? They're watching all the kids of those people who are consumers that don't really love the church and just show mm-hmm. up. Uh, our, our children's workers, you know whose kids they're watching? Their kids. Right. They're, they're watching other members' kids because members are the ones who come to our church because we very quickly put out an ultimatum. You need to be a member in this church or you need to leave. Hmm. And so we, we have a small gap in between the amount of people who are showing up who, who are not members versus those who are members. And so all that to be said, what is a healthy church member? My, my point is, I, I think that a healthy church member um, is taking on more responsibility, but I, I wanna add that I think they also are receiving more benefits. I, we tell our people plainly, if there are two people who are sick and dying in the hospital, mm-hmm. um, if one is a member and one's not, I'm helping out the member. I'm going to show up to the member and the person who's not a member because I can't be in two places at once. They're going to die without me. Uh, I'm not going to be there. And I I make no apologies for that. I think that that is right. Benevolence. That's another Hmm. thing. Our church gives tens of thousands of dollars each year to members in our church. So Hmm. people ask, well, what, what, what is your ministry to the poor? What is... Well, our ministry to the poor is the same as the Jerusalem church's ministry in, in the book of Acts to the poor. We help the poor among us. And so there are people who we've bought a car, uh, cars for people. We've helped pay people's rent, all those kind of members in our church who are hmm. faithful. And so there's this incentive of um, we, we give all the members in our church. They're also we have we call them uh, gospel groups. So they're they're a discipleship group um, for 
Christians. Mm -hmm. So how do we gauge Christianity? How, how do we see who we, we use our membership process? So we have the, our gospel groups. They're groups. They're gender based men with men, women with women, a minimum of three people, maximum of five. Each of them has a leader that's been trained by the elders um, in gospel fluency, gospel centrality to disciple these people and right. hold them accountable. And, but they are only available. You're only allowed to be in one of these groups if you're a member in our church. Mm. So what do members get? Members get uh, financial help when they're in trouble. Members get, um, we also have a list The pastors, each of our five elders has a list of about 25 members that we're committed to pray for by name mm. each month in our personal prayers. So if you're a member in our church, we, we are giving you a guarantee that you will have a, an elder in the church praying for you. You will be in um, in a gospel group, a discipleship group with someone who's been trained by the elders to disciple you. Um, you will also um, uh, have financial help if you're in, in need, um, mm. all these kind of things. And then what, what are you called to do? Well, you're called, um, that's your, those are your benefits, um, but your responsibilities are, you're called to hold everyone accountable. You're, you're called to, um, to commit to practicing Matthew 18, mm -hmm. because that's not just elders, that's, that's everyone. Um, you're, you're called to protect the faithfulness and purity of this church's gospel witness. Huh. Um, you're, and, and the way that you're gonna do that is you're gonna be exercising your your rights as a member over, you know, we're congregational, and, and so I'm not gonna get into that, but just, mm -hmm. but you're, you're gonna, they're, in our church, they're gonna have a vote. Our members have real, because I just see in scripture again and again, responsibility and authority come as a pair. Wow. Again and again and again. So, so when I tell people, hey, you're a member of this church, you're responsible for protecting the faithfulness of its gospel witness. You're responsible for holding even elders and pastors accountable to preaching orthodoxy and and the truth of God's word. You're responsible for this. You're responsible for that. And then and then they say, okay, and and what rights do I have to carry these responsibilities out? And our answer is, well, zero. You don't mm -hmm. have any. Like in our church, they, the the congregation can fire pastors, and the congregation we we cannot appoint an elder unless the congregation approves it. Wow. Our congregation also, with every member that comes in, our congregation is given a, a one month. We have a membership candidacy where the congregation gets to investigate and see that person's life. And, and then the congregation is the one who votes to receive. The elders, we give our recommendation. The elders do an interview with that person. So we do a one-on-one -on -one interview where we ask that person who's applying for membership for a gospel proclamation and a testimony. Um, and then the elders based on, on that interview, we're able to recommend them for membership. Mm. But the congregation, the current members of our church, ultimately they're the ones who are gonna make the decision through through a simple majority vote. And so we're, we're basically just saying, to be a healthy church member, you're you're regularly showing up. Um, you, you are present, you're in our members' meetings. Uh, you are praying for other members. You're praying for the pastors. You are giving financially a lot. So our, our church, like, we have a large budget for a church our size. Mm -hmm. And all the time I have pastors like, what's your giving campaign? How do you, we, we don't do a giving campaign. I'm like, what are you talking about? I tell people to be members or get out. Yeah. That's our strategy. So, and guess what? Christians, <laughs> Christians give money to the church. Yeah. So, so I think our church is healthy because in a very simple, this is the last thing I'll say, but in a very simple answer, our, our church is healthy because our church is made up primarily of Christians. Yeah. And yeah. I think the average church in America is not primarily made up of Christians. Mm. I think it's primarily made up of unconverted people who were entertaining, who show up to consume 
they burn out those people who are Christians uh-huh. because they're the only ones who are willing to serve them and they're exhausted and they're tired. And then we talk about church membership and everyone gets scared because they think <laughs> this is just a way of, of the church getting us to sign the dotted line to, to, to basically just exasperate ourselves and give more money than we can afford to give and give more time than we have to give and all this kind of stuff. And well, you know what? Yeah, that's probably true in many scenarios, but, but in a church that's healthy, um, that's not the case. Our members are thriving. Uh, they have rights, they have benefits, they're being taken care of, they're being served, they're being loved. And, and so for them, when we're like, hey, could you help with this? Could you do that? They, they just, they snap right to it. They're happy to do it because they know they're loved. So yeah. I think that's a healthy church member. Wow! Yeah, that's that. Whoa! <laughs> that was that was the the web and fastball. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I and I think it's uh, uh yeah, that's pretty amazing, and uh, uh, and I think it's a difference too about trusting God and not trusting Him. You know, especially Providence. yeah, and just just especially with our pocketbooks. You know, um, yeah, where we're just like, do you trust God will provide? You know, and He always does. He's always so faithful, and we and sometimes we start fearing ourselves that that uh, He's not going to do it or you know we're not going to have enough and when we trust him he always shows up and wow that was Amen. that was awesome you know as uh, Thanks, we're, we're, we're winding down here um we, we all our guests you know we ask them to share the gospel and can you go ahead and share the gospel with our listeners um that yeah around i'd the love world? to the gospel is the good news of jesus christ his life his death and his resurrection in order to understand the gravity of the good news we must embrace the bad news the the diamond shines most brightly on the backdrop of that black velvet. Uh, we have no need of salvation. We have no need of a savior unless we find ourselves to be sinners. And so the bad news is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. So every single person when, when naturally born in, in the natural, it may be a healthy child, a healthy baby, but spiritually speaking, Every single time a human being is born into this world, they are spiritually, um, it's a stillbirth. It's a miscarriage. They're born spiritually dead because the wages of sin is death. And they're born under, as you said, Julio, they're born under Adam. Adam is their federal head. He is their spiritual father until God in his mercy chooses to save them and place them in Christ. And so the wages of sin are death. Um, We're not just sick in our transgressions. But the scripture says that we are dead in our transgressions. Dead people can't seek for God. No one, as Romans 3 says, no one seeks for God. No one is righteous. No, not one. And so we are completely at the mercy of God. Salvation is not Jesus as the divine lifeguard, seeing people who are drowning, you know, in a body of water and throwing them a life raft and Some individuals use their free will to choose to grab on, and other individuals refuse and therefore drown. Now, the the gospel is not Jesus simply as the divine physician who's healing those who are sick in sin. The gospel is Jesus as, as as the resurrected king who is walking through a graveyard raising the dead. That's what it is to be born again. It is to go from death to life. It's to be resurrected. It's to become a new creation. And and so the gospel is that Jesus lived this sinless, perfect, obedient life to the Father. 
Uh, he obeyed all the commands that we've been talking about today. Hmm. He constantly, every second of every moment, was loving the Lord his God with all his heart, all his soul, all his strength, all his mind, a perfectly obedient life. And therefore, <laughs> as one who was righteous, he properly and rightly earned the favor of God. But he who knew no sin became sin on hmm. our behalf. He took upon himself the sins of God's people, those who would become the children of God through faith. He took that sin upon himself and received the just punishment, death for that sin. On the cross, he absorbed the wrath of God toward sinners. Hmm. And so our sin was imputed to Christ at Calvary so that through faith, his righteousness would be imputed to us. We, we are not welcomed by God because of our own righteousness. It is, as, as many theologians have called it, an alien righteousness. Hmm. It is a righteousness that is that we're clothed in, but it is not our own. It, 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 it is something that has been imputed to us by another. So through the sinless, obedient life of Jesus, his substitutionary death on the cross, atoning for sin and absorbing the wrath of God, mm -hmm. and through his vicarious resurrection bodily, from the from the dead we have hope that one day we would be raised with him also i believe it was john stott who said that that the resurrection is is the father's amen to the son's declaration that it is finished on the cross that the resurrection is it's the proof that the cross was sufficient and that god's wrath really was satisfied for all those who would believe in christ so that's the gospel we're saved by grace through faith in christ according to the scripture, for the glory of God alone. Amen. Amen. Whew. Amen, Joel Wiven. Yeah. Um, ladies and gentlemen, um, share this podcast. It was it was a fastball for some. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and we'd, we'd love to have you back, Joel, on a different topic. Maybe we could do uh, tithing, giving, uh, something yeah. something in that, because I think that's, that's something a lot of uh, Christians struggle with, um, and, and I've had to work through as well. Um, and it's just a very interesting interesting topic. Or shepherding. Have we done a shepherding? Podcast? Have we done a podcast and just shepherding? No, no, I don't know. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. we do something I would else. Love to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, Joel, where, where can uh, where can uh, our listeners find you and uh, Response Church? Yes, so we're we're uh, in San Diego, California. Our website is thereresponsechurch.com. So it's all lowercase, just thereresponsechurch.com. Uh, we, we've got lots of sermons and um, blogs and, and just different biblical um, gospel-centered material that you can read and look at. If you mm -hmm. live in San Diego, we'd love for you to come and check us out and join us on a Sunday morning. Um, we're we're yep. right in the Point Loma area of, mm. of San Diego, California, and uh, yeah, we'd be happy to have you. And uh, become a member fast. Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. Yes. This, um, this is awesome. Yeah, this is a great podcast, Joel. Um, yeah, and if I ever find myself in San Diego, you'll you'll see me walk in. <laughs> yep. Great. We'd yep. be happy to have you. Yeah. No, that was that was really great. Good I mean, stuff. It, it, it was just a reminder, a refresher. It's yeah. like, hey, we're part of a group 
Thank you, Joel. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you so much, Joel, for coming on. You're welcome. Um, Absolutely. So this was the second recording, and so if you're on this episode, the next episode uh, we've already recorded and it's already posted, Rosaria Butterfield. Mm. Uh, Please go listen to that one. That one was powerful, Mm. excellent. We talked about her her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, all about uh, Christian hospitality. We talked about her definition of uh, radical, ordinary hospitality. She also gave her testimony, and it was just powerful 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 stuff um but um yeah next week or this actually this week we're gonna have harry reader uh he's the pastor of briarwood presbyterian church and we're actually gonna be talking about discipleship yeah it's gonna be the first part of two yes so yeah we're really excited about that yeah so get ready for that one um all right guys so we'll see you on the next one grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and we'll see you on the next next podcast. Peace out. Later. Later.